0: And so I learned, while researching this book, that George Washington was a man of great contradictions. A victorious general who struggled to turn a profit from his plantation. A popular leader who was unable to rally support for his foreign policy. And, in summation, a fascinating subject for a biography. Before I sign your first editions of my book, George Washington, An American Life, I'll take a few questions. Yes.
1: So, Dr. Nair. What would you say was Washington's greatest military victory?
0: In chapter 39 of my book, I offer a minutely detailed argument that General Washington secured American victory in the Revolutionary War at the Battle of Saratoga in 1777.
1: So, did he celebrate by throwing a Saratoga party?
0: I address that theory in the footnotes. Are there any more questions?
2: From Chicago, Illinois, DB Comedy presents The Electables, presidential sketch comedy and history for people who can't afford Hamilton. Today's episode President Number One, George Washington. What you are about to hear in this podcast is a mashup, partly sketch comedy in a radio comedy vein and partially discussions about presidents and history and how that changes. The folks you'll be hearing are DB Comedy, a political sketch comedy company that's been working in Chicago since 2006, along with actual real-life historians and experts in all things presidential. Thanks for downloading. Hope you like it.
0: This is my theater, you ingrate! Follow the script, George Washington. You're just an actor, which means you do what I say, damn it.
2: Your script sucks, your jokes suck, and you're a lousy director, King George. This colony bit you wrote is not the least bit funny.
0: Hey, I know funny. You guys don't know humor when it kicks you in the nuts.
2: Yeah, like the time you made us pay for each time you hired a scribe to write new scripts? The old stamp tax. Ha! <laughs> you
0: know I was just joking, guys. That was me and my satire crown. Oh, by the way, you all gotta chip, chip in a little bit for these new props I just got for the French Indian War sketch. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. it! We're out of here. Yeah.
2: Me and my friends are gonna start something totally mm-hmm. kick-ass. We'll put on a. Brand new country. It'll be an experimental, improvisational nation. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
0: Ha! Yeah. I'd like to see you try to run things on your own. Yeah, watch this! <laughs> <laughs> You'll be sorry, George Washington. You'll be back.
2: Uh, yeah, we did it! Oh. <clears throat> We've got our own theater, but it'll be an all-improv company now. Yeah. We're going to make this up as we go along!
3: Cool, let's call it a democracy. Whoa,
4: Jefferson. Democracy improv seems kind of radical. Think anyone will buy tickets for that? How about a republic then, John Adams, where citizens will throw out their ideas at us, but we still get to script out the rules. Democracy. Republic.
3: Democracy. Republic. Democracy of the people. We'll we'll be (laughs) democratic-republican.
5: There. Are you happy, Madison, Jefferson?
2: Hmm. Hey, hey, everybody! Welcome to the inaugural show of Second Country Improv! The only nation where you make the rules and tell us, the performers, your representatives, what to do! Okay, so what I need is a suggestion from the audience. I need... A location for our new national capital:
6: Philadelphia, Trenton, London, Franklin. a French brothel.
2: That's enough out of you, Ben Franklin. Oh, man.
6: <laughs>
2: okay, now give me a division of powers. Division of power. What
7: all powerful king? No. By camera.
2: Ooh, 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 ooh. Separate judicial,
4: executive, and legislative branches.
7: Presidential veto.
4: Override of a veto.
7: Suffrage for women.
2: Abigail, not now. I heard Electoral College. The electoral whatage? Uh Electoral College. It's a simple improv game. We put a little buffer between the actual citizen and the elected official. You, the audience, don't vote for us, the candidates. You vote for delegates who are pledged to vote for their candidate. And whoever gets the most votes wins the entire state. See? Simple. Now, each state has a certain number of electors proportionate to their population. Well, then we need to count the slaves. Oh, boy.
3: They're part of the
4: population. So, uh, Jefferson, suddenly you are saying that slaves are people?
3: No, no, Uh, no, but. uh,
2: Yes, and.
3: Yes, and. We can compromise on the whole people thing. (laughs) Yet everyone will love that. Yeah, let's include slaves, but only part of them. Yes, yeah. Representatives and taxes shall be apportioned among the states by adding free persons and. Three-fifths of
2: all other persons. That sounds fair. Good. Done. This is the final word on slavery. We shall talk no more of it now. (laughs) <laughs> okay, blow
4: on the ink, and here it is! Our freshly scripted constitution.
0: So now you have a script? It isn't even improv anymore. Oh, oh,
4: it is a real democracy.
5: Yeah!
4: So, uh, um, what do we do now? Uh, we're going to need to elect a new president. Uh,
2: uh, oh, 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 George! George! George. George! 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 Oh, sh- oh, uh, guys, I... Okay! Yeah! Boo! This show sucks!
0: You'll be back begging me to take care of you again! Shove it, King George! You're not the
2: king of us anymore! This whole- you're German
0: anyway! This whole improvisational democracy thing is a pipe dream! No nation can survive letting People run things. An unruly mob barking demands like a whiny pup. I give it six months before you close. The novelty will soon wear thin.
2: And so it begins. With your help and your participation, we can prove him wrong. I'll see you at the inauguration. Industry only.
3: And scene.
4: and hard cider.
6: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ale, fire, and camaraderie. <laughs> it's a great slogan. <laughs> I would vote for them. I, yeah. What Got are your my last
4: vote. names? You're Chelsea.
6: I'm Chelsea Denault. I'm a PhD candidate in American history and public history at Loyola University, Chicago.
1: Um, and I'm Laura Pierce, and I am a public historian oh. with...
2: What's the difference between a public Not historian an and, an and a actual private museum.
1: historian? museum, so <laughs> it sounds a lot less fancy because I sold out to make money. <laughs>
6: your, your company is cool, though. Yes, but right. we do make money, so it seems, a little, <laughs> seems a little shady. No, it's totally legit.
4: One historian in America deserves to make money, and I am <laughs> honored to know her. <laughs> <laughs> so, George Washington was a hero to the people, but I don't think I would call him a man of the people. Would you agree with that assessment?
6: Uh, I I would. Um, I feel like um, Washington certainly was n- not thought of as a very common person, but I also think that's why the public saw him as being a good first president, right? They saw him as being very presidential, Absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, you know, while
1: we had just fought a war against having a monarch, we still kind of wanted a monarch. Um, And George Washington had a lot of those qualities uh, that seemed regal and official uh, and desirable in uh, a figurehead, even if he didn't technically have the title of king, although they thought about giving it to him, and
5: he refused. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) So... He definitely was not a man of the people, but wasn't there a faction that gave the impression that he had um, delusions of being a monarch and ambitions of being a monarch that he got uh, painted with that brush
1: um i th- there was I think that to some extent the, the other people wanted that for him uh George Washington himself was was never really interested in that um, you know initially, there were talks about allowing him to be president for life and uh, much like a monarch. And uh, he refused that possibility um, and didn't think it was a good idea. So I, I would certainly say that there were people who wanted that for him, but George Washington himself um, was not in support of that kind of idea.
6: Yeah. Even in his own writings, you actually see a lot of references to the Greek, no Roman, no Greek, Uh, figure Cincinnatus Cincinnatus was a great warrior in Rome Greece? Rome? Rome. Rome? Rome? This is where comedy
5: gets very cerebral.
6: Americanist. <laughs> Americanist <laughs> <Not> over here. Not <laughs> <classicists. laughs> Right, I taught History 101 once, and it was <laughs> not a pretty thing. But he refers to Cincinnatus a lot in his own writings, and Cincinnatus is this great Roman warrior who decided that he just wanted, after winning battles, to go back on his farm. And Washington very much identified with that figure i mean all he ever wanted was just Mm -hmm. to go sit at mount vernon
1: he actually didn't want to be president in the first place um but people felt that they needed someone that was recognizable and that the majority of this fledgling country actually knew who he was and respected him Mm -hmm. and washington was kind of one of the few people that fit that bill that everyone also liked there were a lot of people that fit that bill, but people didn't necessarily like them. Um, or there was a lot of contention about them. Um, think, for instance, of uh, some of the subsequent presidents, uh, John Adams or Thomas Jefferson or you know Alexander Hamilton, for instance. Um, they had a lot more uh, detractors than Washington did. Everyone could pretty much agree Washington was a good guy.
6: And I think that comes so much from those other figures having such strong opinions mm-hmm. about their vision for the new country, whereas Washington didn't was very good at not saying anything, at not having an opinion.
1: Yes, he was uh, very much more of a military man and uh, wasn't really that much of a statesman um, before becoming president.
2: Well, one of the things we've been... I think noticing as we've been writing these sketches is this notion of humility and who has it, who doesn't, who pretends to have it, which is something <laughs> that uh, in future, as we as we roll on in other presidents, uh, we we begin to see that, and it's tempting. Maybe because we see we see humility as this facade or often to be sort of pretended Mm -hmm. that when we hear that Washington was genuinely humble, there's still resistance to the idea.
5: Um, I don't know. I mean, as a Virginia native, I would not say many of the Virginia presidents. Humility is not (laughs) something that I (laughs) would have um, said any of the early Virginia presidents had. Perhaps that was, you know, projected upon them uh but mm. (laughs) i don't know that oh
6: so sorry
4: no no it's okay um i think you know based on the biographies i've read george washington could be one is one man who could be said to pride himself on his humility that was the facade he always presented to the world because he thought that was his role as a virginia planter
6: right and that's that's actually what i was going to say right i think we're applying this very modern definition of humility to this person who understood humility in a different way or, or even because he was, I would not characterize Washington as a humble person. He was very proud and he was very um, proud of his status um, and proud of the things that he had done. Uh, He just, did not want to be in the public sphere, which I think is different than humility.
2: Was it because, I mean, one of the things we've now discovered uh, in popular culture was how young so many of the founding fathers were at the time of the revolution. A lot of them were right around, really right around 20. Mm -hmm. I believe Washington was a little older at the time and maybe that had a fact, that had a, a role in that as well.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that probably uh did factor in to some extent um you know, the other founders were still kind of forming their personalities when the upheaval and the excitement of the revolution happened, whereas Washington was a more established adult at that point, so he sort of already had his personality, um, you know, formed and maybe wasn't as influenced uh, by the excitement of revolution um, as some of the other founders um, could be considered to have
6: been. And he had, I mean, because he had already had... A life really before the revolution like he had he had seen some shit right <laughs> to be able to to say it bluntly right like mm-hmm. he had fought in the french and indian war he had seen his entire uh regiment that he was leading almost massacred um yeah, was a war i don't think you can call it a massacre <laughs> <laughs> right you signed up for this um <laughs> also you right. may or may not be the aggressor <laughs> <laughs> definitely was the aggressor <laughs> we'll save that for another chat um <laughs> Right, but he had he had already led men into battle that were killed. Uh, he had then uh, married a woman who was older than him, had already had a husband, already had a life, already uh, had children. Right, he lost his brother, his oldest brother. Um, you didn't know this? Oh, sorry. Mm. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have said that. Cut that off. <laughs> uh, Laura, Laura alert. knew everything. Yeah. Uh, yeah Washington's older brother, who was supposed to inherit everything, um, died uh, and so and that was a very traumatic experience for a very young Washington um, and so he like like I said, he had already seen a lot of life before he had mm-hmm. come to the revolution
3: uh, George, I'm going to need you to sign this new tariff act Hamilton, I was
2: just thinking about putting you on a bill. How do you like? Ten dollars. Does Jefferson get one? I was thinking the two. I love it. Now the tariff act. Yes, tariffs. I love some tariffs. So good at tearing. Sir, do you not know what a tariff is? Uh, Of course I do.
3: I was in the House of Burgesses, you know. Of course, sir. Uh, now, once you sign this bill, British goods will be subject to increased excise fees at all of our ports of entry.
2: Clever as always, Hamilton. Make England pay us back for the war we fought.
3: That's not... I mean, England... You, you said you knew what a
2: tariff was. I do! It's a way to make foreign countries pay for our infrastructure.
3: No, no, no that's not it. No, it, it's a tax. A tax? Yes, a tax on goods I that we I thought input. we
2: didn't like taxes. Jefferson
3: got to you, didn't he?
2: Didn't we just fight a war about taxes?
3: Without representation. And now that we have representation, we can tax as much as we like. Like the aforementioned Tariff Which England will pay for. No, no, again, no. It is a tax on goods imported into our country to stimulate domestic manufacture. So England doesn't pay the tax? No, the merchants pay the tax, ultimately passing the costs on to our citizens, making the goods more expensive. You get it? Ah, yes, of course. You, you sure? Because I've written just so much
2: about it. I mean, God, I, could, I could get you a treatise please on Please don't.
3: Why do people always say that about my treatises?
2: And what are these new tariffs on, and what are they for? Oh,
3: yep, standard luxury goods, you know, sugar, tea, furniture, whiskey. Uh, what was that last one? Huh? Oh, uh, whiskey? Don't worry, no one will notice. And uh, they are to help us pay down our war debts, and we have so much debt.
2: Could we put a tariff on fine porcelain? Would that help us pay our
3: debt? I suppose we can put a tariff on China, but again, China will
2: not pay for it. Very well. George Washington. There. (laughs) England will be paying off our debts in no time. Nope. This calls for a celebration. Martha, get out the good sandpaper. Papa needs to clean his (sighs) teeth. At least that's done.
3: And we will never have to deal with this problem again.
4: Turning our attention to the issue of tariffs. Yeah. Our current concept of tariff and tariff controversies is yes tariffs and no tariffs, protect protection free market is that the dichotomy that people were seeing in the late 18th century did they have a very different concept of it? Who was who who was pro tariff, who was anti tariff?
5: You've now been cast in the role of historical Economics.
6: I was going to say, which is Economist. not my, which is not my forte. I try to avoid uh, economic history as much as <laughs> I humanly can.
1: Uh, well, uh, contrary to maybe what you'll hear from uh, seeing the musical Hamilton, uh, <laughs> Hamilton really <laughs> wanted to make money um, for the country, for himself, and um,
4: So if he were alive, he'd be suing Lin-Manuel Miranda for royalties, is what you're saying. Oh,
1: definitely. (laughs) So so he was very pro-tariff and was, you know, a bit of a financial whiz um, in a lot of ways. And so that was sort of his big idea, to be able to make money for the young country that was desperately in debt. And... um, So he was very in favor of the tariffs, um, whereas other founders, um, for instance, Thomas Jefferson, uh, were more of idealists and maybe not necessarily practical and uh, were were very much not in favor of uh, this additional taxation.
5: Well, one of my understandings of Hamilton is that was one of the reasons he got... um, the government, the federal government, to assume all the debts uh, of the wealthy and the states who had put up money in order to finance the war uh, by being by consolidating the debts and being the single debt holder, he had a way to um, get the creditors to buy into. Look, we need to succeed. We have to have this huge country succeed because they owe us money.
6: Well, and that was also that strategy was also very much a um, if we're we're in this together kind Mm -hmm. of method. Right. Even though Virginia said we already paid off our war debts, uh, Massachusetts had not. And so that's a strategy by Hamilton to not only actually get the debts paid off um, by sharing them equitably as a country, uh, but also by forcing everyone to realize, hey, You're not individual states Mm -hmm. anymore, or not even states. You're not individual, like, provinces. Yeah, you are part of a larger thing, and we're all in this together now.
1: Now this is the part we have a high school musical break. <laughs> we're all in this, this together.
6: together. Um, we should never sing on, <laughs> on microphones again. Uh, um.
1: Yes, but, uh, you know, in, in reality, the, the, the states, as we've sort of come to know them now, uh, very much believe themselves to be individual entities. Um, you know, you think about the Articles of Confederation and the original uh, form of government that our country had before the Constitution was written. The states were very autonomous and they had had power themselves, and the federal government had very little power. Um, that clearly wasn't working well, <laughs> and they needed a new system that was going to have more federal oversight, but the states weren't necessarily on board with that idea. So one of the ways to get them on board was to say, we will take over your debts. And um, as anyone who has ever gotten a uh, you know an offer like that, you'll jump at it. Uh, <laughs> so they did.
2: My dear Mr. Hamilton.
3: Oh, yes, sir, General Washington, the favorite son of Mount Vernon, the first Osgood
2: House resident, the man we now call President. Gracious, such accolades. Still, before the carriage arrives to take us to Federal Hall for my inauguration, I was hoping I could prevail upon you to read and critique my speech to the Congress. See, I haven't your gift for oratory. Oratory's just the story of a nation's growing glory. Let alone verse. So I was hoping I might prevail upon your loquaciousness, just as I hope when I am president, to prevail upon your wisdom in fiduciary matters. So do I understand that
3: I should take a gander at your speech, check it for candor? You think I am the man to do all I can to make it sound grander? Well, just leave it to Alexander.
2: I believe that's roughly my intention. Here's my latest draft.
3: Hmm. Huh. Well, I hope you will not love me any less, but you press me to assess in your address, I must confess. It's quite a mess. Ooh,
2: my sincerest apologies. As a boy growing up in Virginia, my instructors toiled relentlessly to render my handwriting more legible, but it seems their struggles were Sisyphean. I got no quibble with your scribble. It's entirely
3: legible. Not uh, your handwriting I'm citing. Your speech is not exciting. Alas,
2: tis just as I feared. Might you be kind enough to point out its more soporific passages? How about the very entrance? Your first sentence, it sounds like repentance. Among the vicissitudes incidental life, no event could have filled me with greater anxieties than that of which the notification was transmitted by your order and received on the fourteenth day of the present month. Prolix, perhaps, but true. The Electoral College selected me on April 14th, and I was overwhelmed with the sudden sense of obligation.
3: Gee, Dub, it's a fumble to stumble out so humble. Do not choke. Here's the oldest wisdom ever spoke. You gotta open with a joke. Mr. Hamilton, I cannot tell a joke. <laughs> I bet on whatever week forges money, George,
2: you can be funny. Tis never to be. Of the few gifts our Creator has bestowed upon me, the capacity for humor is mm. not among them. Check it. So, this answer I am owed. Why did the chicken
3: cross the road? I have never seen a chicken engaged in such behavior. Oh, but this chicken flew the coop, deserted his chicken troop, and he crossed the road so wide to get to the other side.
2: That borders on tautology.
3: Okay, fine. You're a jester. I won't suggest a way to make him laugh, but as a member of your staff, I'll separate wheat from
2: chaff. I hate this third paragraph. You you kiss ass. It's crass. By the article establishing the executive department, it is made the duty of the president to recommend to your consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary. I'm merely alluding to the separation of powers inherent in the Constitution, which we both helped to author. You lay down like
3: a whore. It's for sure the Congress is going to fuck you till you're sore. Lay down the law. Fill them with shock and awe. Give them no cause to question your resolve. Let them all bow down before their leader. This land is going to need a strong hand to take a man, and that is what
2: I've planned. In New York, you can be the big man. Mr. Hamilton... I am shocked that a man such as yourself, who has risen from the humble origins to the very summit of prestige and influence, thanks to American egalitarian principles... I had a dream, I let it drop. Like the cream, I hit the shop. ...should exhibit such authoritarian and, dare I say, monarchical principles. Surely you know... Don't call me surely. I find that girly. ...that the men who serve in America's first Congress are the finest of our young nation... Patriots who place the welfare of country over state, region, and even self.
3: I really can't believe that you're really that naive. We were all freed July 4th, but the South still hates the North, and the North disdains the knavery that the South knows as slavery. As a nation,
2: we grow from the sweat of the Negro. Unlike you, my dear Hamilton, I have faith in the goodness of Americans. Surely the question of slavery, distasteful though that may be to some will decline in importance over time as we band together to advance the greatness of our new nation. Oh, you need an iron fist, or else states will resist. But as this ship of states sets sail, I'm dooming us to fail. If I pander to the slander that our country's just a band of petty fools, forming factions trying to get in on the action, I must inspire the desire to aim higher, serve the common good like all men should. I appeal to a sense of virtue. Would agreeing with me hurt you? Ooh, now that ain't bad, Dad. Get a quill and let that Oh, dear, it it seems the carriage has already arrived. I suppose I'll have to deliver my speech as written. Ugh, just
3: shoot me now.
6: Well, now we
2: can roll into these more of the perspective, even though a little yeah. bit of that bled. The, myths, the,
6: the, the man, the myth. Mostly and the myth. <laughs> a myth. myth. A lot a of, myth. Myth. A lot a of myth. myth. A lot of myth.
2: And so as we move on <laughs> into K- a K- discussion 20.
6: of. <laughs> right. Sorry to burst everyone's bubble. <laughs> uh,
2: of Washington today. He wasn't vaccinated. He's smallpox. he just said smallpox was why he had wooden teeth. Mm-hmm.
6: No, unrelated. Oh, oh darn. <laughs> Sorry, let's put let's all of the myths together. Yeah. Oh,
2: man. I don't think oh, so. Wait well, you hear luckily, what we one of found the things that found out about Polk. Will
1: Cox does not affect is your teeth. <laughs> Though he did start to lose them in his 20s. <laughs> because, you know, oral hygiene was not such a big <laughs> uh, point yeah, as it is today. But so, he has
6: a whole section in his rules of civility about oral hygiene. <laughs> it's like, did you not follow your own rules?
4: So wooden teeth weren't that unusual at the time?
1: Uh, fake teeth weren't that unusual at the time. Um, George Washington actually didn't have wooden teeth.
5: <gasps> <laughs> I- you heard it here first. DB <laughs> breaks the news. George Washington did not actually have wooden teeth. Fake news.
1: I'm not sure where that uh, story first got started, but George Washington actually had uh, teeth that were made of hippopotamus ivory and also human teeth from other people. Um, so they—they, they, you know, he's not literally, you know, putting wood into his mouth sort of every morning. Uh, it was very similar to um, modern day dentures in a lot of ways.
4: Let me get this straight: there were teeth. Donors.
5: I'm guessing they were probably cadavers. Yeah, it wasn't
6: their choice
5: necessarily.
1: Deceased people's teeth. Um, And hippopotamus
6: ivory. And that's actually, but they were very poorly fitted, obviously. Um, And so when you look on the dollar bill, that's one of the reasons why George Washington looks like he's grimacing. Uh, It's because his teeth didn't actually fit very properly into his mouth. So he actually was. He actually was grimacing. (laughs) (laughs) Not maybe out of pain, but out of like discomfort.
2: Well, we, we, we know of presidents that like to do their like to have their portraits in sort of pouting or serious or some conveyance of power of some sort or at least what they see as power. Washington was just my teeth hurt. Yeah.
6: <laughs> <laughs> actually, though, <laughs> uh, actually my my I love Washington's presidential portrait because it does strike me as very um, indicative of him as a man. Right. So it's very um, somber, uh, but also very forced. Um, Right. So his portrait, he's in all black and he has his hand gestured out to the right, pointing to maps and a globe. And you're like, really, that's what that's what you're going to choose there for the first (laughs) presidential portrait ever. You're going to extend your arm towards a map.
1: Don't don't make anyone think America's going to be an empire
6: or anything. We wouldn't <laughs> but, want to do that. But here is a globe. <laughs> now, that we I may
5: futurely a, take over. I have a question about that portrait that you like. I've heard that it may or may not actually be uh, a likeness of George Washington, that there was some controversy as to whether or not that was him, uh, that there perhaps was... Um, One painter who was like using the same subject for um, every famous person. Am I off or? I actually
6: had never heard that. From what I understood, Gilbert Stewart, the portrait painter, he uh, Washington or he was one of the only painters that Washington would actually sit for. Um, But am I going to look that up now? Yes.
2: A dump. That wasn't very nice, Martha.
7: Oh, but George, you're a fool if you think you're going to impress me by dragging me out to this wasteland, this marsh, this swamp. They're
2: going to drain the swamp. And when they do, they'll erect a capital city on this virgin land.
7: I think you mean virgin. This
2: unspoiled land. And they'll name it after me.
7: I'm sure it will be the seat of a mighty empire. Babylon, Rome, Constantinople, and Georgetown. Our enemies will quake. With laughter. But still, they'll quake.
2: Silly girl. I think you'd be overjoyed to learn that America's mightiest metropolis shall bear your family name. What? You mean Custis? Now, why would anyone name a city after your dead husband?
7: Oh, I don't know. Maybe because he could afford it?
2: Daniel Custis may have been a more prosperous planter than me, Martha. But no one ever called him father of our country.
7: That's because Daniel didn't need to overcompensate. He was the father of actual children.
2: Don't start with the bit about the kid, Martha. These great United States are indeed my progeny.
7: Have you been too busy picking termites out of your teeth to read the newspapers, dearest? Your imaginary child is feeling a bit patricidal as of late. Uh,
2: Ignore the false news. I am still so revered that I could shoot, say, Alexander Hamilton on Broad Street in New York City, and the people would still love me.
7: Well, that may have been true during your first term in office, George, But this Jay Treaty has people eager to elect John Adams to the presidency. At least they know he's a lying, sniveling, two-faced monarchist. You
2: just wait, Martha. One day the Jay Treaty shall be proclaimed the triumph of my administration.
7: Triumph? Ha! You bargained away all our trade rights to England in return for a vague promise that they'd remove troops from our northern borders. There are terms of indentured servitude fairer than the deal you and Jay negotiated.
2: I never dreamed that my own wife would believe the Republican slander that I've conspired with our enemies. Oh, yes.
7: Poor put-upon Georgie Pie, such a guileless little lamb. Why, the birds in the trees fairly tweet your innocence. I can
2: tweet my own innocence, love. Did Jefferson turn your head with some pretty French baubles? A comb for your hair? Perfume for your wrists? Marie Antoinette's head for your sitting room?
7: You know I'd never allow French flummery in the presidential mansion. Oh, it reminds you of how Lafayette won the war for you. Still, you might want to show some gratitude by pressuring the Austrians into releasing the poor Marquis from prison. Oh, wait. You can't. The British wouldn't like it.
2: How have I injured you, Martha? Martha? Why, thanks to me, you're practically a queen. Oh,
7: yes, George. I'm the envy of the world. You dragged me from the pastures of Mount Vernon to the filthy streets of New York and Philadelphia, beggared me by refusing to accept a salary as president so we'd have to live off of Daniel's money, and now you've condemned me to a dotage of manual labor now that you've decided you're an abolitionist. Did Faust ever win such favor from the devil than I have as your wife?
2: All right, Martha. If I keep our slaves, will you love me again?
7: I'll be less inclined to smother you in your sleep, at least.
2: And you needn't fear poverty. I'll provide for you.
7: How do you propose to do that? Print money with your face
2: on it? Where are we standing, Martha?
7: A fetid Maryland marsh on the shore of the Potomac.
2: And across the Potomac, what do you see?
7: A fetid Virginia swamp. Am I your surveyor now, too?
2: A fetid Virginia swamp for which the government will pay a fortune so they might build office buildings and homes on it.
7: And that matters to me why, exactly?
2: Why? It will be a windfall for even the humblest Virginia planter. And surely, Martha, my dear, there is no humbler Virginia planter than your loving husband.
7: Why, George, you're, you're using your influence to make money off of government contracts? That's devious, George. You're a devious conniver. Maybe they will name the capital after you. George Washington Devious Conniver. D.C. for short.
2: Washington, D.C. Are you finally impressed with me, Martha?
7: I am, George. I am.
2: One other, maybe one or two more questions to wrap up the Washington podcast. Um, If George Washington had said no, whom might the first president had wound had
6: wound up to be? Very oh, good question. Historians do not like counterfactuals, <laughs> <laughs> or, or, at we, or at least we, or at least we say that we don't like counterfactuals? No, get We're us at a bar. We're comedians.
4: We live for counterfactuals. <laughs> I was going to say,
6: get us at a bar uh, and a couple beers and we will talk counterfactuals all night. I can go find a couple beers. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, gosh. I don't know. My money... That's tough. Right? My... Mm, my money's on Ben Franklin. That's really? who my money would be on oh. as well.
1: I mean, he was very much an elder statesman at the time. I mean, very elder. Very, a very, very elder. elder. One of the reasons that he wasn't uh, the yeah. and, first president. And, 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 Could they have
5: pulled him out of the brothels, though, to get him <laughs> into the office?
1: Well, they would have had to pull him out of France first. Uh, yeah. yep. which, w- would that
2: have even been a problem, If or would that have been a selling point?
1: The brothels or France?
2: Ah! <laughs> uh, the brothels, let's be honest.
1: <laughs> France probably would have been a selling point. I uh, don't know. They had just won the war for us. Let's be clear. The American Revolution would not have been
5: won without France's assistance. And let's not forget uh, Baron von Steuben. I mean, he got out there and whipped the uh, army into shape with his military knowledge. Mm-hmm.
6: Him and, oh gosh, what's his name? I can't think of. Polish guy. Uh, Tadeusz Kościuszko. Uh, th- yes, do not include that okay. on this. So there could I have, okay. have been a th- really hard time so there, pronouncing
1: Polish.
2: So there could have been all sorts of firsts that we missed.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, my, I, my money would be on Ben Franklin um, for just because he he was very well respected, um, and if you look at the Constitutional Conventions and you look at um, the congressional conventions mm-hmm. um during the revolutionary war people deferred to benjamin franklin mm-hmm. and to his opinions um and to his suggestions although luckily not on uh, the national bird otherwise we would be saluting a turkey but otherwise <laughs> he was, one of my
6: favorite things in american history ever
1: <laughs> he was very uh very respected and um but for his age uh he he really might have been a, a pretty strong contender uh, for the first president. So
5: and I how suppose old was if he at wo- the
2: time. Oh is oh, it the eighties? Eighty one? Wow.
5: very, very old. He was old even by uh, uh even colonial by times oh, he, he was, was old by today's
1: standards. Yeah. Um by colonial standards it was a miracle that he was alive.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Would Ben Franklin was he more of a he was a Francophile, was oh, he yeah. not? So
2: hence the brothels.
4: Mm-hmm <laughs> We oh, love you guys are our really
1: French friends the brothels hard <laughs> uh yes franklin uh was was a big fan of the french um and and their
2: brothels that would have been a- and
1: also the French were a big fans of Benjamin Franklin um when Franklin, he was the Jerry
2: Lewis of the era.
1: Well, when For Franklin real. would go to France, he would actually play up this sort of American folksy vibe. So, in the oh, United that's States, right. he
5: used to walk around the French court with a coonskin hat on his head. He Beaver absolutely skin. did.
1: Uh, and you know, in the United States, he was an upstanding gentleman, an upstanding uh, man from the cosmopolitan city of Philadelphia. Um, and in Paris he uh was no such thing he would um put on these airs as if he was sort of this rough and tumble frontiersman which he was in no way whatsoever but uh you know the french uh and you know we're thinking Louis the sixteenth's france uh ate it up absolutely oh, ate it up oh they were
6: delighted
5: um, any Ooh. chance uh- uh, continuing this counterfactual uh, thread, <laughs> any chance that Jefferson might have been the first president if Washington had said, "You know, guys, I just want to go and retire at Mont Vernon and, and uh, they couldn't find and then. spend my time with reason. Martha." Yeah, she was dead. <sighs> I mean, would he have had to would he and Adams had slugged it out for to be the first or Well they I, slugged it out to be the second <laughs> and third. So
6: <laughs> I I honestly don't think John Adams would have been the first president. Certainly um, not John Adams. Yeah, I don't think it would have been John Adams. Um and so in in that by by process of elimination, it would have been Thomas Jefferson. Um No one liked Adams. No one Mm -hmm. liked the idea of Adams being the first president. No Um, one liked the idea of
1: Adams being president
6: (laughs) or vice president.
2: (laughs) But he was. And on that note, Mm -hmm. to find out more, finish listening to this podcast and come join us for podcast episode two. John Adams! DB Comedy presents The Electables. The George Washington sketches were written and produced by Gina Bukola, Sandy Baikowski, Joseph Fedorko, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. The George Washington sketches were performed by Sandy Baikowski, Brad Davidson, Joseph Fedorko, Louise Coy, Ramona Jouet, Sylvia Mann, Paul Moulton, and Patrick J. Riley. Original music written and performed by by Throop McClurg. Audio production of the Electables podcast by Joseph Fedorko. The Electables concept was created by Patrick J. Riley. Contributions to DB Comedy are graciously accepted. By going to the DB Comedy Donation page at fracturedatlas.com, who is the nonprofit fiscal sponsor of DB Comedy. Donations are tax deductible to the fullest extent allowed by law. For more information on DB Comedy and the electables, visit DB Comedy's website, DBComedy.com, and follow us on Facebook at DB Comedy and Twitter at DB Comedy Chicago.
6: got the relevance piece for Washington that you were looking for we'll
2: find out and hopefully it all got picked up light yeah. uh, 25 fun minutes
6: I was gonna say I th- the mm-hmm. only thing that again I th- again is I think that I would have liked to talk about more is how how and why we mythologize Washington because yeah. that's just a really interesting history thing we may well, be yes, able to so we can talk about sexy George Washington and Mount Vernon. Oh my gosh, mm. have you seen the new Colonial Williamsburg, Washington? No, sexy, sexy. What? Oh my gosh, the new the new uh, young Washington at Colonial Williamsburg. It's like 35 year old Washington, and I'm like,
5: looker. <coughs> I mean, he, luckily
2: this is being recorded I mean, was right Washington now,
6: so. Oh no! 15? Every historian is saying that. No,
2: right no, no. Right We're recording this right oh, now. Good. We picked all that up. Good. So. Yes, yeah, he's so. real hot. Hot George. Call Washington. me. Okay. <laughs>